Welcome to this Herbert Smith Freehills podcast in which we're going to be talking about some of the implications of the unwinding of the government's coronavirus business interruption loan schemes. My name is Jenny Stainsby. I head Herbert Smith Freehills Financial Services Regulatory Practice. I'm joined by James Palmer and by John Chetwood. James is Senior Partner and Chair at Herbert Smith Freehills. He also chairs the City UK Legal Services Group and is a member of both the City UK's Leadership Council and its Recapitalisation Group, which last year made recommendations to the Bank of England and HM Treasury on how to address the recapitalisation needs for UK business arising from COVID-19. John is a partner in our restructuring, turnaround and insolvency practice. John has over a decade of experience working with a wide range of banks, companies and other parties covering the full spectrum of the restructuring process. James and John recently moderated panel discussions at an industry conference which focused on the implication in particular for the banking industry of the unwinding of the government's coronavirus business interruption loan support schemes and there were some really interesting themes coming out of that and today we're going to talk more about the challenges that recapitalisation creates for lenders, for borrowers and the UK economy more broadly, the steps needed to overcome these challenges and also about the cliff edge we're facing later this quarter when the restrictions on winding up petitions and wrongful trading are due to be lifted. So with that introduction, my first question is to James. And James, how would you describe the recapitalisation challenge? Hello, Jenny. Hello, everybody. Um, uh, look, just to cut to the chase, because I think that is the right starting point, because not everyone uh, understands what we're talking about. Everyone understands there are refinancing needs and financing needs. But the heart of the recapitalisation challenge is you've got, obviously, a whole load of businesses which have been impacted by COVID. Now, many of them will be able to uh, deal with the complexities and financial challenges of their affairs uh, in particular, and we'll come on to this for uh, larger companies with access to capital markets or complex arrangements. But for many others, uh, there aren't simple solutions. So you've got uh, really a lot of what would otherwise have been good long-term sustainable businesses that would contribute jobs and employment and income uh, and economic activity uh, for the UK economy and the social advantages of that as well, which because of COVID have lost revenue, lost income and taken on costs and therefore debt. And there are a lot of very complicated issues here uh, but uh, as we look at this issue, nobody, I think, is advocating that government tries to fix everything. I think that's just not realistic at all. And we uh, are very, very sympathetic to the government uh, recognising that it's got to be very responsible with taxpayer monies. It's got to work out what the boundaries are of its appropriate intervention. But the reason we wrote the recapitalisation report is I think that there is still a question as to when the, if there is a cliff edge, and none of us knows for sure what the future holds, but it's certainly possible that you could have a very significant degree of business closures of in particular smaller businesses will come on to, uh, which if, if all of the businesses that, or if even 20% of the businesses which have taken on uh, bounce back loans or a, a proportion of those taking on uh, Sybil's loans, 
uh, were not to be able to repay and were to go into insolvency, you've got a question as to whether you've got serious economic scarring, particularly in the parts of the economy, the regions of the economy that the government is uh, really committed to uh, investing in and supporting the the, uh, the the northern and midlands and former industrial seats that this government uh, sees itself as having made strong commitments to. And, uh, and so you've got to balance that fiscal responsibility, that taxpayer responsibility with avoiding long-term uh, economic scarring. And that is the heart of the issue. The second uh, quick point about it is this is about whether there is something other than debt that is needed in the mix. Capital beyond debt. And this debt has been provided. There's no doubt about that. The question is whether we need some structures to look at how we facilitate more equity or other uh, 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 funding, which is not in the form of debt. So, James, where does that leave us then in terms of large companies and perhaps the SME perspective and also for banks? Well, look, I think the general view being taken for larger companies and even you know what what many people would call larger SMEs and there's all sorts of different labels as to where you have cutoffs here but there are an awful lot of companies that um, have had challenges where the lenders to them uh, and and the businesses themselves can if they've got sustainable long-term businesses uh, talk to investors uh, talk to their debt providers and the size may make converting some of their debt into equity a viable option it may mean writing off some debt but not other bits um, and and in um, and you've also got uh, questions as to whether those larger companies have access to the VC market the angel investor market uh, and private equity so for certainly for large listed companies uh, other than in some very specific sectors the uh, and you'll have seen activity from government on some very very narrow focuses the, the government is very firmly looking to market solutions there. And the market, if you look at the level of capital that has been provided through the market over the last 12, 14 months, it's been extraordinary. And businesses uh, in vast numbers have tapped the capital markets, both at the quoted company public uh, market end, but also medium and large private businesses through all of the different uh, funds. And some of those have been supported by government, but mostly that's pure private sector fixing itself. The, the issue for the smaller companies, particularly the smallest, taking out bounce back loans, which really make the point, is these are very, very small loans relative to most businesses. And yet there are hundreds of thousands of these businesses with these smallish loans. And many of the loans are £20,000, £30,000, whatever it might be. And if you are a, 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 a running a really good business and you've taken out borrowing under bounce back loans, you might have had a small amount of, of natural borrowing you had as part of your business anyway. Many of them did. Many of them didn't. Um, the problem is you're too small to do a complicated debt equity conversion that someone like John uh, is very familiar with doing with medium and large size businesses. But it is, uh, and so you're really faced with a choice if the business is insolvent uh, and, and not able to meet its obligations. Do you fix solvency by giving it a lot more time? And, and I think forgiveness or, or giving people a break to take longer to repay is clearly something government has already signaled. They've extended the repayment in terms of many of the loans, which I think was really helpful, really positive thing to do. 
but it doesn't deal with a core of businesses which will technically have levels of liability that there's no reasonable prospect of them paying off purely because of covid if they hadn't had to take on that debt they would have thrived and, and potentially grown and so the issue is is there a structure that you can on a mass basis not a negotiated basis on a mass basis particularly where the government is already the anchor investor through being the guarantor of 100% of a bounce back loan, 80% of a Sybil's loan, uh, where the government uh, wants to be able to reflect on whether it requires the bank to force the repayment of the loan and therefore potentially the insolvency of the business. So it's, it's you write it off or you or, uh, and lose it and close the business. Or do they want to have another weapon in the armory, which is, as we proposed in the recapitalization report, for example, in the right cases, allowing businesses to repay through the tax system? Uh, there might be a lot of business owners who, rather than go bust, would be happy to repay as their profits allowed them to do so through the tax system over the longer term. And we also raised a question about whether with legislative change, government could introduce a form of of, of quasi-equity uh, in place of debt, which would come off balance sheet as a liability, rapidly turning around solvency for those businesses. And we're not saying the government has to do it. We really wanted to give the government some complex solutions to give it more choices if that scarring risk I started off talking about looks real. That, 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 thanks, James. And that, you talked about reform, but what, what sort of re structural reform would be needed to strike that balance between debt and equity? Well, look, it's, it's a really complicated subject. And, and I think that, um, as you know, um, the banks, for example, have all sorts of restrictions on holding, holding equity in terms of their capital weightings and so on. And indeed, uh, if, if positions are, are underwater, you know, their accounting positions and, and financial capital positions, understandably, uh, are, are a huge disincentive for them holding those kinds of positions. Um, but I think this is a really complicated issue, and I'm not going to try and get into the detail of it on, on this podcast. But uh, in essence, in my career, I've been here doing this job 35 years, not this job, but working as a lawyer in the city 35 years. Uh, I, I think that we've seen a sea change away from equity towards debt. Businesses are funded far more heavily by debt. And so in the in the, the, the recapitalization report, we, we trailed some thoughts as to how through potential accounting changes, tax changes, you know, you could, for example, and this sounds radical because we don't do it at the moment, you could look at giving a level of tax deductions for equity. We give tax deductions for debt. And, and the changes that we've seen in accounting and tax uh, in my career have led to far more businesses being funded with debt uh, than with equity. And you're building in more risk of insolvency and arguably more social instability as a result of that. And I think there's a, a really valid question as to whether we need to get out of the groove of looking at this as we've always looked at it and go back to first principles as to what are the behaviours and what are the capital structures we want to incentivise. Thanks, James. And, and you, you've mentioned um, insolvency, and that perhaps takes us very neatly on to talk to, to John about um, the uh, restrictions being lifted. So, 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 John, if we think about the outlook from the 30th um, of June, when, as we said, restrictions on winding up petitions and wrongful trading are due to be lifted, um, how do you see things um, transpiring after that? Thank you, Jenny. And, and, and I'm, I'm conscious as we're talking through this that actually the first time you and I worked together was back in 2009 after the financial crisis. And it's 
it's just another reminder that downturns are rarely the same in each 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 particular recession or downturn whatever it may be ought to be considered on its facts and i think if we look if we look ahead at what may be coming in the summer there are i mean the outlook is uncertain um there are indicators of financial distress in the market but equally there's lots of capital available as james has mentioned both from government support the availability of debt finance um, a lot of private equity investment at the moment so there is a weight of capital supporting businesses why is the the 30th of june a date that we've referenced a few times well it's simply because two of the traditional drivers of restructuring or insolvency, namely the ability of creditors to issue winding up petitions and the threat that directors may face wrongful trading liabilities, both come back online having previously been suspended as part of the extraordinary emergency measures to deal with the pandemic. So that I think the, the concern um, in the restructuring market is certainly that, and it's it's a horrible expression, but it, it, it seems to be sort of to, to summarise it quite neatly. Those businesses who've been you know, COVID losers who've really struggled because of the particular nature of this pandemic may well face pressure to, to, to file for an insolvency or to trigger some form of restructuring discussions when two of the very typical drivers come back online in June. Thanks very much, John. And, and and what does that mean then for large companies and also for SMEs? Well, it, it, it's a very interesting question. I think in in, in one sense, the the, the 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 traditional drivers for an insolvency or restructuring discussion they can include wrongful trading. They can include um, they can include winding up petitions, but also liquidity is a big is a big part of this. So I think. For large companies and SMEs, if they are able to obtain more finance, more support to see things through, then they may be able to bridge to whatever their future may be. However, I think regrettably, there will be a large number of businesses for whom there will be insufficient resources available. And frankly, they may just run out of, of time. They've probably been so busy fighting fires during this period that actually bridging to a long-term sustainable position and, and formulating a business plan you can go off and raise capital against may be, may be a real challenge. So I think with an SME hat on, I think James made a very interesting observation earlier that actually there is a degree of complexity involved in most, you know, even, 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 even frankly some of the smaller or medium restructurings, that some businesses who are at the smaller end of the spectrum may simply not be able to afford or may not be appropriate for those businesses. So despite all of the will to support businesses, it may be the case that a number of SMEs find themselves having to go through administrations, pre-pack sales, or for the more complex businesses, potentially using CVAs to maximise recoveries. And at the larger end of the market, where you can, if you have time, design more complex restructurings, you may find a large number of, you know, potentially new Part 26A restructuring plans being proposed with a view to, to, to trade through this period. And I think you, you will start to see possibly a sort of two-speed response to this, where for those companies who have the, the time and capital to actually contemplate a more complex solution, they have the ability to pursue that. 
But for a large number of businesses who don't, it may be that simply the whole process you know, gets timed out in a sense and you have a large number of insolvencies, which plays back to one of James's observations around, you know, is this going to be a cliff edge? And the answer is, I don't know. But it certainly has the, the hallmarks of something that may happen if you have a whole host of SMEs who just are unable to, to restructure or, or, or turn around and therefore have to end up filing for an insolvency process when some of the, the real um, teeth in the legal system come back online from the end of June. Thank you, John. Thank you. So I'm going to make I'm going to make one additional comment, which is prompted by what John said about the cliff edge there, which is, I think, you know, as you know, Jenny, because it's your world is advising the banks on regulatory risk. The banks are very, very concerned about uh, uh, ensuring that they approach uh, creditors who are in financial difficulty, their borrowers with great sensitivity. And I think, again, goes to John's point about different crises, different solutions. I, the first recession I did, um, dozens of restructurings, was in the early 90s. And uh, there we saw banks foreclosing left, right and centre, and and we saw bank-enforced solutions and some pretty, pretty abrupt ones in just dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. In the financial crisis, uh, we saw far fewer of those, actually. We saw a lot more trying to ensure businesses survived. And I, I would predict um, that this uh, is going to see, we're going to see uh, a bank response, which is very, very measured and very sensitive to economic impacts. But ultimately, banks have got duties to protect their, uh, their depositors, their creditors, their investors, and not just to give capital away. They're not, they're not um, the tax, they're not the tax system and, and the economic infrastructure to bail people out who are in trouble. Uh, and they have to be economically rational, albeit sensitive. So I think we're going to see the banks being sensitive, uh, being very sensitive about conduct risk and, and doing things in a way that complies with the various obligations they've got. But ultimately, government is going to need to uh, position and take a decision as to what is its position as guarantor. Because for so many of these small businesses, because of the excellent schemes the government put in place, the government is actually the creditor here. And creditors have influence over outcomes. And I think government, we still don't know what position government is going to take on all of this. They're trying to leave the responsibility with the banks perfectly understandably, but I think there's some decisions that still lie ahead for them. Thanks, James. There are certainly many challenges for businesses, and as you say, lenders as well, and for government as we move forward over the next few months. So thank you both very much indeed, and thank you all for listening. If there are any aspects of the discussion you'd like to pick up on, please do get in touch with James at james.palmer at hsf.com or john at john.chetwood at hsf.com. Thanks again and goodbye.